Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello, and welcome to another episode of IRI Growth Insights Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chris Dubois, Executive Vice President of the Protein Practice here at IRI. Chris and I have talked in the past about meat shortages that occurred at the outset of the pandemic, um, where there was huge spikes in demand and everyone was trying to cram their freezer with, with meat. Um, We also talked about the increase in the number of home cooks and what that meant for at-home consumption. But I've invited Chris to speak with me today about inflation. So welcome, Chris. Thanks, Joan. It's a pleasure to be here. It's wonderful to be back and looking forward to the conversation. Excellent. Thank you. Um, IRI recently published its September 22 price check, and that's where we track retail food and beverage inflation. We've done it for the past couple months um, and it's available on our website. You can either look under news to see the press release or you can go right to publications and see a, a short deck. But for the past few months, you know, we've seen soaring inflation and IRI has been trying to share some of the ups and downs. Mostly the prices are up and that makes us feel down. Um, but inflation in September was up 1% compared to August. But inflation is 13.3% higher year over year for the five weeks that ended um, October 2nd. That's a bit more moderate than we've seen in recent months. But Chris, inflation has not been equal or steady across the store. And currently what we're seeing in fresh meat and poultry, which is your area of expertise, is about 5.9%, which is much lower than, say, the 19.6% for dairy. So how do you explain that disparity in inflation? Well, part part of it is just due to the commodity na- nature of, of the products in general. So as you kind of see costs moderating or going up in different areas, you'll see you'll see the fresh departments move a little differently. If you go back to 21, we saw some pretty good price increases. Um, part of that was due to the droughts that were going on and some animals were brought in. Um, Early other ones, you know, avian flu has been a big deal in the chicken markets. If you go back, you know, six, seven years to the last big wave, it was episodic. You know, it, in other words, it came and then it went. What we're seeing now is a continuance. And, you know, that puts pressure on, on chicken. But nonetheless, even though we're seeing some of that pressure, you know, we're lapping numbers in a sense. So what you're seeing is the, the increases aren't as great on a percentage basis, but they're still high relative to where we were in 2017 or 2019 relative. And that's the impact that consumers are feeling. So that's when we start seeing the behavior changes. And honestly, I kind of see the next six months as being probably some of the most critical we've seen in the marketplace. Wow. So, you know, in fact, I want to touch on a couple things you said, and maybe we need to have an ep- a separate episode just on how much turkeys are going to cost us. But I would imagine that avian flu is going to wreak all sorts of havoc. I mean, from egg prices to not just chicken, but turkeys as well. 
And are there other um, challenges like avian flu that we need to be aware of in across all meat and poultry? Um, from the from the pork side, yeah, definitely. We've had African swine fever going for a while. You know, that's not here in the U.S. and it's even though it's it's a potential. I think you've seen we've seen the industry really lock down and be as put on just the maximum amount of precautions um, as possible. So if you go out to a, a pork farm or a pig farm, you you will not get access, you know, without going through ex extensive protocols for cleaning and, and everything else. So yeah. um, part of that is just trying to keep the animal population safe. And some of it's just trying to protect from what could be a very bad situation, but Nonetheless, you 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 can look and see that you know the industry's taken the, the whole idea of it coming here to be very very serious. But it does impact overseas markets, and a lot of our meat gets exported. And in some cases, we import a lot too. So it's not just a U.S. market; it's actually a total world market. Um, from the chicken side, yeah, this is this has been a big deal. I've, you know, if you talk to retailers, they they feel lucky to be getting fill rates sometimes at eighty percent. So there's a lot of double ordering, a lot of extra orders going back through. And, you know, for some, some manufacturers in some categories are coming off of allocation or at least beginning to, as one retailer would say, they're beginning to come off of allocation. They're not actually all the way there yet. Yeah. The but supply chain is, has to catch up with that yeah, too, so right? The supply chain is catching up in a lot of, in some categories. Um, and I think that shows promise for moderation. But when you look at inflation overall, right now, the perimeter at least from a meat side, isn't as bad as some of the other ones in center store. Where I think you've seen center store catch up a little bit in 22 with the price increases. Yeah. In fact, I do recall that, you know, the prices for a lot of the perimeter departments in the second half of 2021 were much higher. And now it seems like, you know, they're still going up to your point. They're still up much higher than they were two years ago, but now center store is catching up. And that's where we do see those larger spikes. I mean, I think frozen meat and um, other frozen foods is up well more than 18%, which, you know, gosh. Yeah. If, if no, we... It is a big deal. And when you look at food service, the food service prices aren't up quite as much, but it's sort of deceptive because in many cases you will see many fewer items on a menu. So if you look at the IHOP menu, it used to be 12 pages. Now it's about two. You know, if you see items from some restaurants, you know, went from 27 to 12 um, on menus. So what retail or what restaurants are doing are just getting rid of a lot of items because they don't have the labor or then they don't want to manage the cost to go do it. But even so, if it's not apples to apples, you're still seeing the relative price increases be more moderate than than retail supermarkets. But what's driving the retail supermarkets underneath is, is still a tremendous focus on the on the at-home meal, or at least preparing food at home. So that part creates a huge floor for supermarkets and food, food to be consumed at home. We do see that there are, um, and it might be more seasonal, that there have been more meals consumed away from home recently. We know that a restaurant meal costs like 3.4 times what it would cost yeah. if you made it at home. Um, so I'm wondering if people are seeing the really high prices at the grocery store and thinking, ah, I can I can afford to eat out because the prices aren't as high. But you made a great point. There's a lot of different trade-offs in labor, in variety, in 
all sorts of things, and you're still paying more at restaurants. So I think with the season, the seasonal change, it'll be interesting if that really does swing heavily back towards in-home, where you're still getting a better deal for your dollar, right? Oh, definitely. No, and there's and there's still been some really big pockets of of growth all the way there. I mean, think about like something like chicken wings, which sounds kind of silly, right? But sales are up, you know, seventy one percent over the last few years, and and but prices are up thirty four percent. If I'd gone back to a chicken manufacturer or processor in twenty nineteen and said, "Hey, I got a real, I got a great idea for you. How about you raise your prices thirty four percent, and it's all going to work out? Trust me." Like no one, you know, that, that wouldn't have been any kind of reality, but that's sort of what we're looking at here is God, I would there are categories that. where sales are up and prices are up too. That's a painful crystal ball. If you would have been able to project yeah. that, that would have been. Yeah, painful. that would have been total genius level. <laughs> I'd actually be able to forecast it because, you know, I'll be honest, that, that wasn't in my crystal ball. <laughs> no, no. Um, so I like your example of the chicken wings, though, because. People have, you know, in the, in the past recession, in the recession of 2008, 2009, people were able to trade down to less expensive cuts of meat, but that's not the case anymore. I mean, prices are up across the board. So are you seeing more, more stories like those chicken wings? There are pockets of those sort of all the way through, you know, even in a category like seafood or, or sorry, finfish off that side. Yeah, that's been challenged all year. You know, that's been a star if you go back to 2020 and 21. Probably one of the probably the strongest department across the, you know, when you looked across the store, sales were up. Mm-hmm. You know, in a very big way, and volume was up. Um, right now, you know, this has been a tough year. Dollars aren't there and volume really fell off. And I think seafood is just a little bit more sensitive. But if you look at salmon, oh my goodness, you know, sales are up, you know, the volume's been strong. Um, retailers have really focused on this as part of you know, making sure their seafood customer can be satisfied. So even though the department as a whole isn't doing great, salmon as a whole is. And I think that'll be the anchor for the retailers that build back when prices come down. I don't, um, I don't look at salmon as being a, an affordable fish option, is it? Is it more affordable than some of the other seafood or fin fish options? It probably depends on your pocketbook. It is a little bit more expensive than tilapia and some of the other ones. But on the other hand, at $8.99 to $11.99 a pound, it, it's not awful on that side. It's still an expensive um, and it's still an expensive product, but it has pretty good household penetration, you know, well over 50%. So when you kind of look at that as uh, something that many people can like, and it's known as a healthy solution, this is something that retailers have been pretty smart about, that they they will put that on the front page of a circular. They will highlight that early in a search engine, and they will be sharp on the price. So it's almost become the chicken breast to the ground beef at the seafood case. Oh, I like that. I like I like what you just said there. So we know, you know, consumers have different um, strategies for coping with inflation, including the the reduced consumption, which we are seeing across the store. Um, They've been making quick trips just to get exactly what they need to um, fulfill a need, and uh, meaning we're not really pantry stocking as much, and maybe shifting to larger pack sizes um, for the value, the, the volume savings. So are what what strategies, you know, are you seeing with um, any of the proteins? I think from a chicken side, you know, their prices have gone up 
you know, quite a bit. But what's what's amazing is that people still will gravitate towards what I call the absolute dollar choice. So when prices are up for pork and beef and everybody's up a little bit, yeah, a little bit different than some of those. Chicken's been up quite a bit. So when you look at that and you say, wow, there's no way people would be buying that much more chicken. Sales are up and volume's up. I mean, so that's the reality is the chicken processors, while they have an awful lot of extra cost behind them to kind of justify the increases. So it's not like free money, just for anybody who's listening and wants to start that discussion. It's definitely not free money, but they are selling more and moving more chicken on that side. So, and I think you could actually wind up selling more chicken if there is more available as well. So you've been speaking about higher volumes, but another strategy that manufacturers have employed has been um, what we refer to as shrinkflation, where they're actually selling um, smaller pack sizes. Is that even a strategy for protein? It's a little harder in the protein side. Um, But what you see is, I think, a very strong push in some cases from private label to be a little bit more custom. So you'll see cut up chicken for stir fry, but instead of having it be, call it 0.9 of a pound, maybe it goes to 0.75, 0.8, just trying to hit a price point at at 650, 750 a pound, something like that. And I'm just sort of using it as a rough ballpark number. So, you know, in a random weight world, you can shrink it down. It just becomes very hard to see. Um, but a lot, a lot of times what people are trying to do is hit, hit that dollar point, um, at least in terms of the price package and uh, the dollars on the package, the absolute dollars matter. Um, I, have, than the price per ounce. I think we've talked about this before. I'm one of those, you know, small households that I do rifle through the ground beef and stuff looking for the smallest pack. So yep. that's really interesting that you brought that up, that we've always purchased um, these proteins on a per pound basis. And, you know, we might just be looking for the smaller sizes. So have you seen, you know, like, let's talk now about some spe- some specific shoppers, you know, maybe by um, age, for example. How are you seeing behaviors change um, among shoppers in for proteins? I'd say, you know, from a from a behavior side, we are kind of seeing some big changes in terms of younger generations making more of the meals at home than they would have than they had done previous years. So that part's a big change. But the other the other side is I, there is a huge change coming, and this is probably one of the biggest questions for any, you could call it almost any CPG manufacturer, but certainly in the meat case, it's it's a very, very big deal. And that's what I call the, the boomer to millennial shift. So we're almost at the point now where you have as many millennials as boomers. It's very close, you know, from a, a total count. And when you look at household numbers, Yep. On average, boomers do have higher income. They're older, they're farther in their careers. It's not a value thing. Um, so the spending still tends to be stronger on the boomer side. But if you fast forward five more years, millennials will be farther along in their careers. Incomes will be higher. Their kids are just a little older. So they will be spending more money. And it's this shift that becomes a really big deal. That's going to rock categories across the store without kind of locking just into the meat world. Here's a few examples of kind of how we're thinking about it. If you look at oat milk, just kind of making up something that's a little bit out there, right? Millennials buy 29% more oat milk than the average U.S. household. Boomers buy like, buy 20% less. 
So as you think of boomers spending less, just naturally their, you know, their kids are farther out of the house, probably going to retirement, spending in different ways. The oatmeal category likely will become more stronger than it is today. And the same thing happens as you walk it down. Frozen soup, millennials don't buy it. Now, maybe they'll be magically, you know, incented to go do that someday, but boomers really buy it. So that's a category likely to shrink. If you look at um, specialty nut butters, boomers really don't buy it. Millennials really do. And if you think about that peanut butter set, some of those nut butters tend to move. The same thing happens for, um, for meats. Millennials don't buy veal today. Yes, they buy about one, uh, 25% less than the average U.S. household. Like that's the big deal. So for veal processors going forward, they're going to have to convince millennials that it's it's a great that, that you know that it's a great product. There's a marketing piece going on there, and when you dig deeper into things like ground turkey, millennials buy ten percent more than the average U.S. household. Boomers buy less, so ground turkey and crown poultry probably going up as part of that meat case over time, relative to others. So this is kind of that big shift that's coming. So today's meat case, today's shelves are going to look very different than tomorrow. Or will look. Tomorrow's are going to look very different than today's. That is super interesting. Why? I mean, is it, can you give us a couple examples of why these shifts are are happening? I mean, we, you know, we've talked about that whole new generation of cooks. Is it that these younger um, cooks are getting inspiration from different places? Um, I'm just wondering what marketers can do to kind of keep these shoppers looking at their products. Yeah, it's, and it's a big deal across proteins. Like chicken is necessary, is really advantaged by millennials. I mean, millennials buy more chicken than others. They buy less pork. So that becomes a big piece when you start looking at social media. That's a huge um, change for how people are, are and, um, and videos too, or just a huge change in how people cook. If I grew when I grew up, I could watch my parents um, use a cookbook. Today, I might think I'm really cool by having like a seven-year-old iPad propped up with a <laughs> stove and that's sort of neat, but it's not, you know, on that side. Do your, children, you, do your children mock you, Chris? It, slightly, yeah. In a nice, they mean it very well. When after dinner, after dinner, like, they did you. really you. print, you know, like, dad, did you really print that recipe off the internet <laughs> to go use? So yeah, there is, there is a little bit of mocking in the household, but um you know, when you when we go through what we call a path to purchase, and we follow millennials through that process, a lot of it's just straight, you know, straight from recipe websites where you can buy the items, put it right in your basket at the right. store. But then, second, you can watch the video and and how per, how how these groups describe it is, they just watch the video because that's not only how you to make it, but also how to present it. So it's not only a how to, but it's it's the whole show. And especially when you're working with, you know, a spouse or some friends and cooking, it becomes an event. So that whole idea that it's interactive, it's visual and, you know, the sounds, et cetera, are just a different way. Well, that is really interesting. And those are, I think, some great examples or recommendations on how different proteins, different, I look at some of these different commodity boards, how they should be thinking about their plans um, to keep you know, to either attain or retain um, some of these younger shoppers. So just to recap, I want to um, 
talk a little bit going back to um, inflation and how that's impacting the protein area. Um, some of the things that you pointed out were that we're lapping 2021. So prices appear to be moderating, but they're so much higher than they were just a few years ago. And we've got a couple of um, potentially disastrous things happening, including avian flu. And you also mentioned that pork is also in danger. And there's going to be extra costs associated with these products because of the very strict protocols that growers are taking to ensure that this is a safe supply of meat. Um, I loved what you said about, you know, salmon kind of being the star of the seafood department. And um, of course, the chicken remains a go-to for poultry. And thank you for calling out that shrinkflation probably won't be a big deal in the protein department because we've always bought it by the pound. But I do think that, you know, consumers are looking to maybe add a little less. So I'll continue to be looking for those smaller packages. Or, you know, um, consumers are also looking for large volume deals. So you might still, there's still a, definitely a market for like three pound packs of ground beef. Um, I enjoyed hearing what you had to say about millennials and the incredible impact that they're going to have on the products that people buy and how that's shifting. You know, oat milk was a great example, but you also talked about the fact that, you know, ground turkey is up, veal is down, pork is not as popular with these um, younger cooks. So it's really important to meet these shoppers where they are with the inspiration they need to start reconsidering some of these cuts of meat. Yep. So with that, Chris, um, hey, don't wait so long to come back and visit. Let's maybe put something on the holiday um, on the books. But yeah, thanks. I'd love. I, I would love to come back. This was a lot of fun, Joan, and thanks for having me. All right, talk to you soon. All right. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.